I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, hello, and welcome to Leaves of Glen. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to uh, uh, live in a mansion uh, and not risk recording in my basement. I always want to read the hottest Pokemon books and short stories. This week, I'm going to finish reading A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Want to learn a little bit about the author? Sure you do. Uh, Charles Dickens, born the 7th of February, 1812, died the 9th of June, 1870. I really got to reevaluate why I do this. I always have to read the born and death dates every time. It's, uh, it's morbid. I should just let this go. Just talk about the author and the great works they produced while living. And maybe just leave it a mystery. Are they still alive today? Is Charles Dickens still out there like a vampire living in a cave with a small little decrepit body, still breathing a lot with his tiny little ribs and just and trying to write with his weird long fingers and his fingernails and no one will cut? Well, he's an English writer, a social critic, and human jerk to his wife and kids. He created some of the world's best-known fictional characters and is regarded by many as the greatest novelist of the Victorian era and a fantastic asshole to the people around him. Uh, his works uh, enjoyed unprecedented popularity uh, during his lifetime, and in the 20th century, critics and scholars had recognized him as a literary genius. His novels and short stories are widely read today. Interesting to note, he was a jerk to his wife and kids. He literally uh, cheated on his wife and then tried to destroy his wife's life so that if she said anything bad about him that she was not credible and nobody to take her seriously and then made the kids stay away from her and not allow her to uh, see the kids. Just a huge pile of shit. So why don't we read about the tragic death of Charles Dickens. Burp. He worked himself to death. This is from Grunge.com. If all the writing and publishing wasn't enough, Dickens also kept up an incredible schedule on the speaking circuit, reciting his work and lecturing on social reforms that focused on children's rights and education. Sounds like a nice guy. Said he was a jerk to his own kids. In the spring of 1869, as his health was becoming an impediment to his travel, Dickens set out his farewell readings. Tour of England and Scotland and Ireland. During it, he suffered a mild stroke and was forced to return home. Although his health had improved significantly, he ignored his doctor's wishes and scheduled 12 performances of A Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah, you gotta give the people what they want. And as well as a, a trial scene from the Pickwick Papers at St. James Hall, London, beginning January 1870. Appearing frail, per the British Library, Dickens made it through the 12 events and moved full steam ahead on his unfinished novel, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. However, on June 8, 1870, Dickens suffered another stroke and died the following day. According to uh, John Foster, uh, Dickens' friend and ex-executor, uh, the author's wish was that uh, he would be buried at Rochester Cathedral in an inexpensive, 
an unostentatious and strictly private manner, with no public announcement to be made at the time or place of my burial. Uh, per Robert Garnick's book... Oh, goddamn! I'm doing that thing where I'm reading the sources all the time. Why does Grunge.com, the most awesome and coolest of websites, have to keep citing their sources all the time like a bunch of nerds? Instead, he was buried in the Poets' Corner of Westminster Abbey along with Geoffrey Chaucer and William Camden. He was a sympathizer with the poor, the suffering, and the oppressed. And by his death, one of England's greatest writers is lost to the world. A printed epitaph read per Historic UK. <laughs> I'm just going to keep reading them. Screw it. I don't care. Uh, the Troubled Story of Charles Dickens. He's one of the greatest writers, blah, blah, blah. Living and working and, and during England's Victorian era, Dickens' work is marked with his length and verbosity, as well as verbosity, as well as his exploration of our common, universal living experience. Dickens explored poverty and debt, the shocking state of education, and the orphanage system in England at the time, and, and, and unrequited love, of course, because he was cheating on his wife, set against a lushly detailed portrait of the world and often spanning entire lifetimes of his characters, novels like Great Expectations, David Copperfield, and A Tale of Two Cities have become iconic works of literature. Uh, yeah, just the stuff we already learned for the rest of that. Okay, fine, whatever. Let's move on and read the story. Well, we've been on a long journey, haven't we? This has been going on forever, because Charles Dickens uh, apparently is getting paid by the word, and my God, this guy really milked each thing. Somebody enters the room, oh, he'll get out his thesaurus and, and talk about the texture and the hairiness of someone's jacket. Uh, he'll talk forever about the shape of their nose in an unflattering and kind of a shitty way, and he'll just kind of keep going on and on about stuff. And uh, so I imagine... The story's basically done, but uh, now we're on stave five. Stave. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look this up on the Kindle. What does stave mean? It's just going to be chapter. I get this already. All the people employed by that particular organization, a staff. Well, the Kindle fucked up. It thinks it means staff. Anyways, uh, so we're on stave five, and he's going to drag this out forever because, my God, this guy needs to get paid. We just read about how before he died, he did a bunch of tours reading his works to people that have already read it and just like, oh, and clap. Yeah, hey, I got to hear it come from his mouth. Uh, do you think they thought about that on their deathbed? I got to hear Charles Dickens read a Christmas Carol from his mouth. I don't think anyone actually thought that. It's weird, but he needed the money. I think even towards the end of his life, he's like, God damn it, I need more money. Uh, I've been dating this young woman that uh, I cheated on my wife for, and uh, my God, I've got I've to... Gotta, Get more money for my young wife. <laughs> I don't know what's going. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm also sick. Uh, it's been a long journey because now I'm sick. So uh, this last chapter is going to take hours to record. And uh, and I also am going to keep sniffling and sneezing during the entire thing. I think, if anything, by the time I finish this chapter, I might also die. Wouldn't that be fitting? Wouldn't it be fitting if my podcast and my life ends with the story oh, burp, of uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Well, let's not fool ourselves. I'm going to probably die reading Winnie the Pooh. 
uh, which is going to come up pretty soon. I'm taking a break. I'm going to read like a weird smutty novel next. Uh, and then after that, Winnie the Pooh. I just don't want to read Winnie the Pooh. I think Winnie the Pooh is going to be the one that, that that's the one that's finally going to make me famous. But I'm just, uh, I'm putting it off. I like being anonymous and I like, uh, just reading smut. But, um, God, what if I die reading the smut novel? Oh, how fitting would that be? Imagine like 50 years from now, someone does a documentary on this unknown podcaster that died reading a smut novel. It goes through my entire, it, it, was, it was the Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens that broke him and then broke down his body. Well, anyways, let's move on. Stay five. The end of it. Yes! Exclamation point. And the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own, and the room was his own. Oh, best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own. To make amends in. I will live in the past, the present, yes, yes, and the future, Scrooge repeated as he scrambled out of bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Jacob Marley. Heaven and the Christmas uh, time be praised for this. I say it on my knees. Old Jacob, on my knees. He was so uh, fluttered and so glowing with his good intentions that his broken voice could scarcely answer his call. He had been sobbing violently in his conflict with the spirit and his face was wet with tears. Oh, they are not torn down, cried Scrooge, folding one of his bed curtains in his arms. They are not torn down, rings and all. There they are. Oh, I am here. The shadows of things that would have been may be dispelled. They will be, and I know thy will. His hands were busy with his garments all the time, turning them inside out, putting them on upside down, tearing them, mislaying them, and making them and making them parties to every kind of extravagance. I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge, laughing and crying at the same time. What does that say? Yeah. I don't know what that sounds like, but that's my best attempt. They're making a perfect lacoon. Ooh, let's look that up. Let's see if uh, the Kindle can tell me what that means. A lacoon. Lakoin, oh, a Trojan priest, who, is, ah, who cares, of himself with his stockings. I am as light as a feather. I am as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy, <laughs> and I'm as giddy as a drunken man. Ah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, Happy New Year to all the world. Uh, hello there. Hoop! Exclamation point. Hello. He had frisked into the sitting room. It was now standing there perfectly winded. There's the saucepan that the girl was in! Exclamation point, cried Scrooge, staring off again. <clears throat> I told you I had a cold. I just, woof, just inhaled and swallowed a giant, giant amount, a cauldron's amount of snot. But it was warm. And going round the fireplace, uh, there's the door by which the ghost Jacob Marley entered. Oh, there's the corner where the ghost the Christmas present sat. Ah, there's the window where I saw the wandering spirits. It's all right. It's all true. It's all happened. Ha, ha, ha! Exclamation point. Really? For a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh. Almost a lustrous laugh. Father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. I don't know what day of the month it is, said Scrooge, and I don't know how long I have been among the spirits, and I don't know anything. I'm quite a baby. Never mind. I don't care. I'd rather be a baby. Hello. Whoop! Exclamation point. Hello there. Exclamation point. Who's he talking to? He was checked in his transports 
by the churches ringing out of the illustrious peals he had ever heard. Clash, clang, hammer, ding-dong, bell, exclamation point, bell, ding-dong, hammer, clash, clash. Oh, glorious, glorious. Running through the window... Well, he opened it and put out his head. No fog, no mist. Clear, bright, jovial, stirring, cold. Cold, piping from the blood to dance to. Golden sunlight, heavenly sky, and sweet, fresh air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, merry bells. Oh, glorious, glorious. What's today? cried Scrooge, calling downward to a boy in Sunday clothes who perhaps had loitered uh, to look about him. Eh! returned the boy with all his might of wonder. <laughs> uh, what's today, my fine fellow, said Scrooge. Today, uh, replied the boy. Why, it's a uh, Christmas day in all caps in a weird way. Uh, it's a uh, Christmas day, said Scrooge to himself. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all one night. Ah, oh, they can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Hello, my fine fellow. Hello, returned the boy. Did do you know the poultry is in the next street, uh, but one at the corner? Scrooge inquired. I should hope I did, replied the lad. Ah, an intelligent boy, said Scrooge. Yeah, a remarkable boy. Uh, do, do you know whether they've sold the price turkey that was hanging up there? Not the, not the little turkey, uh, but the big one. What? Was uh, the one that's as big as me, retired, returned the boy. Ah, what a delightful boy, said Scrooge. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck. Ooh, ooh. I've only heard Buck used in porn terms. Uh, but yeah, he called him, yes, my Buck. Ugh. It's hanging there now, replied the boy. Is it? said Scrooge. Go and buy it. Walk dash capital E-R. Walker, exclaimed the boy. No, no, said Scrooge. I am in earnest. Go and buy it, and I'll tell them to bring it here. Oh, and that I may give them the directions where to take Come back with the man. Nah, and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes, nah, and I'll give you half a crown. Well, the boy's off like a shot, and he must have had a, because he's a young buck, uh, he's off like a shot, and he must have uh, had a steady hand and a trigger who could uh, have got a shot off half so fast. Oh, I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's, whispered Scrooge, rubbing his hands. Oh, it's splitting with a laugh. He, he shan't know who sends it. Oh, it's twice the size of Tiny Tim. Oh, don't bring up Tiny Tim. He's a poor little uh, guy with a, a disability. Like, I, I found food as big as your disabled child. <laughs> Joe Miller never, met, uh, never made such a joke as sending it to Bob's will be. <clears throat> the hand in which he wrote the address is not a steady one, but write it he did, and somehow he went downstairs to open the street door, ready for the coming of the poulterer's man, and he stood there, waiting his arrival. The knocker caught his eye. I shall love it as long as I live. <laughs> cried Scrooge, patting it with his hand. I scarcely ever looked at it before. What an honest expression it is in his face. Ah, oh, it's a wonderful knocker. Ah, uh, here's the... Hello, whoop. Uh, how are you? Merry Christmas. It was in italics a turkey. How oh, you never could have stood up on his legs. That bird, he would have snapped him short off in a minute, like sticks of sealing wax. Why, it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town, said Scrooge. You must have a cab. The chuckle with which he said this, and the chuckle with which he paid for the turkey, and the chuckle with which he paid for the cab, and the chuckle for which he recompensed the boy, were only to be exceeded by the chuckle with which he sat down breathless in his chair again and chuckled till he cried. This is a guy having a nervous breakdown. 
Shaving was not an easy, easy task. What, his legs? For he, his hand continued to shake very much, and shaving requires attention. Nah, we all know that. Even when you don't dance while you are at it. Uh, but if he had cut the end of his nose off, he would have put a piece of sticking plaster over it and been quite satisfied. He dressed himself in all his best and at last got out in the streets. The people were by this time pouring forth as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present. And walking with his hands behind him, Scrooge regarded every one with a delighted smile. He looked so irresistibly pleasant, in a word, that the three or four good-humored fellows said, Ah, good morning, sir. A, a Merry Christmas to you. And Scrooge said often afterwards after that, of all the blithe sounds he'd ever heard, those were the blithest in his ears. Well, let's take a moment to reflect upon that while we also think about... Uh, Ah, oh, Christ, what the hell can I make up about this? Steven Dorgless. Uh, he used to be crabby. I mean, he was. The guy's never gotten laid. We established that in a previous episode. Uh, and also, he's a travel of the world, bringing glass to people. But after a while, the people that he brings glass to, it feels empty and hollow. Oh, here, I've come to this this random, small little uh, group of people in an isolated area. They've never seen a home with drywall, much less glass. Well, he brings the glass to them. They say, what is this magic invisible wall that you bring me? And he goes, ah, 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 ah. Take it and put it against your hut and make a hole in your hut and put this glass in the hole. Oh, yeah. Enjoy that. Oh, they, they all say, oh, yeah, the greatest. You're a magician. Because ah, I'm, not a, I'm not a special man. I'm just a normal man. But then over time, he doesn't care. He's, he feels kind of empty inside. Oh, I'm doing this again. I'm flying in a helicopter with a bunch of glass in the back uh, to this remote area of the world, and I'm putting glass down next to their little thatched huts and whatnot. And they're like, here, take the glass. And they're like, oh, you're a magic maker. Hey, shut up, shut up. I gotta, I gotta get back home. And he gets back in the helicopter and flies away. He feels empty inside. And uh, could a man like that benefit from uh, potentially, oh, I don't know, uh, having his own ghosts come visit him and kind of put his life uh, and restructure it a little bit. Because when Stephen Dorgless walks down the street, he's crabby, just like Scrooge. He feels that he's done uh, so much for the world, and the world doesn't seem to appreciate or keep his life exciting. It's really just that. He just wants to keep his own life exciting. He doesn't care if the world appreciates him. He's like, ah, keep me entertained. Also, to this day, the guy's 58 years old. He's never gotten laid. So today he's just kind of finding life pointless. Nah, my works don't satisfy me as much as uh, <clears throat> puss. They're dedicated to fabricating and professionally installing the highest quality glass products from the nation's top manufacturers. Their inventory combined with their years of experience makes them the premier source for installation and repair. They approach every project with the same goals. Professionalism, integrity, and they're discreet. How can a man who feels so hollow inside, giving the world the power of glass, uh, benefit from being discreet? Well, uh, God, I don't know how to end this uh, rant I'm going on. I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, uh, I'll take the easy way out. He makes for himself a crystal wife, uh, a glass wife, uh, much like 
uh, candied wife from The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. Oh, he makes himself a wife that makes him happy, but she also judges him. And that's what keeps it exciting. Oh, he he's never knows if he really makes her happy because oh, she's always unhappy because she's transparent. Uh, what they do, commercial storefronts, automatic entrances, windows, patio doors, mirrors, shower doors, installation repair, and they will design and build any wife you might ever ask for. Do you want a wife that's judgy and quiet? Nah. He could make that for you. Do you want a wife that's uh, 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 like a, a, a good Christian obedient woman, but also transparent? He'll make that for you, too. He can make you any wife you ever want. All you have to do is ask him and pay him. Clients are Pottery Barn, Williams-Sonoma, Sherman-Williams, Portillo's, Salt Cave, uh, which I've said that before. I'm ready to drop that one. Basically, it's a place in Minneapolis where they have a room inside this place. It's a small little strip mall place. And inside there is a room with a bunch of Himalayan salt things, blocks, bricks all over the place that are backlit. So when you walk in there, it's like being inside a living lung. And then uh, you're just supposed to sit there and do stuff like, I don't know, paddleboard yoga and stuff. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to touch the walls or lick them. But I've been there. And I've licked them, and they taste like other people. Uh, and Applebee's. Well, with that, why don't we retire to the master bedroom, where I can tell you about the latest romance literature from Penguin Random House Books. Oh, there you are. Yes, of course, I've been waiting here for you, as opposed to running up later, which is a bit I always do. No, I've been sitting here, sipping on my glass of sherry, here, on my giant heart-shaped waterbed, which, with engineering, is near impossible, because there's too many folds and tucks to do to a waterbed where it can hold its integrity without leaking everywhere, but mine is, uh, it works, it's fine. And there you are, ah, there you are, dressed as a... <clears throat> This is a, a sickly person, but you look ready to solve crime, and you also look like you could be my best friend. As you show me a book that says, the, uh, Jane and the Year Without a Summer by Stephanie Barron. Want to learn about the book? Yeah, you do. That's why we're here. If you have a Jane Austen would have been my best friend complex, look no further. Barron has painstakingly sifted through the famed author's letters and writings, as well as extensive biological, biological, I keep saying that, uh, biographical information to create a finely detailed portrait of Austen's life with a dash of fictional murder. Some of the, some of its most enjoyable, it's, it's well-written fanfic ever created by O Magazine. May 1816, Jane Austen is feeling unwell, God, with an uneasy stomach, constant fatigue, rashes, fevers, and headaches, eh? and she attributes her poor condition to the stress of family burdens, which even the drafting of her latest manuscript about a baronet's daughter nursing a broken heart for a daring naval captain cannot alleviate. Her apothecary recommends a trial of curative waters at... Chesselham Spa in Gloucestershire. Ugh. Jane decides to use some of the profits earned from her last novel, Emma, to treat herself to a period of rest and reflection at the spa in the company of her sister, Cassandra. Oh, Cheltenham Spa hardly turns out to be the relaxing sojourn Jane and Cassandra envisaged. However, it is immediately obvious that 
other boarders at the guest house where Mrs. Austin are staying have come to Tethlehem with stresses of their own. Some of them deadly, but perhaps with Jane's interference, a terrible crime might be prevented. Now, set during the year without a summer, with the eruption of Mount Tambora in the South Pacific, caused a volcanic winter that shrouded the entire planet for 16 months, this 14th installment in Stephanie Barron's critically acclaimed series brings a forgotten moment of regency <coughs> history to life. Ugh. That was a pain in the ass to get through. Jane in the Year Without a Summer by Stephanie Barron. Uh, comes out on January 17th for $17.95 and paperback at Amazon, Barnes Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Bookshelves, Indiebound, Powell's Target, and Walmart. Well, I'm bored, and you look sickly, and I don't want to make sex with someone who doesn't look healthy. I feel like you get heart palpitations and pass out in the middle of it. So with that, why don't we go back down to the library and, uh, and relax and rest your heart while we finish the rest of this story. Ah, there you are. Still looking like crap. Why don't you, I don't know, eat a vitamin C tablet or something. Do something to improve your life. Uh, he had not gone far when, coming on toward him, he beheld the poorly gentleman who had... Oh, God. Ugh, I'm sick and my burps are very peanutty. Walked into his counting house the day before. Oh, God, help me. And said, Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. It spent a pang across his heart to think how this old gentleman would look upon him when they met. But he knew that the path lay straight before them, and he took it. My dear sir, said Scrooge, quickening his pace and taking the old gentleman by both hands. Hi, how do you do? I hope you succeeded yesterday. It was very kind of you. A Merry Christmas to you, sir. Mr. Scrooge? Yes, said Scrooge. That is my name, and I fear it may not be pleasant to you. Allow me to ask your pardon, and, and will you have the goodness? Oh, and there's so many N M dashes on this that I can't count them. It's just one big long line with an end quote. That's impressive. I've never seen that done in literature before. <clears throat> Here, Scrooge whispered in his ear. Lord bless me, cried the gentleman as if his breath were taken away. My dear Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, said Scrooge, not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included. Oh, oh I assure you, and will you do me that favor? My dear sir, said the other, shaking hands with him, I don't know what to say uh, to such munifi with a big long M dash again. I don't know why he's really into the big long M dashes. Don't say anything, please, re retorted Scrooge. Come and see me. Will you come and see me? Question mark. I will, <laughs> cried the old gentleman, and it was clear that he meant to do it. Thank ye, says Scrooge. I am much obliged to you. I thank you fifty times. Bless you. I went to the church and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and patted the children on the head and questioned, uh, and questioned beggars and looked down into the kitchens of houses and up to the windows and found that uh, everything that could yield him pleasure. No, he, he never dreamed that any walk 
That anything could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. Oh, he passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to go up and, and knock. Uh, but he made a dash and did it. Is your, is your master at home, uh, my dear? Said Scrooge to the girl. Uh, nice girl. Very. That's creepy. Weird. That's not even in quotes. That's just the author saying, nice girl, exclamation point. Very, period. Yes, sir. Where is he, my love, said Scrooge. Nice, in the dining room, sir, along with the mistresses. Yeah, and I'll show you upstairs, if you please. Thank ye. He knows me, said Scrooge, eh, with his hand already on the dining room lock. I'll go in here, my dear. And he turned it gently and sidled his face around the door. Oh, they were looking at the table, which was spread out in a greater way. Oh, eh, for these young housekeepers are always nervous on such points and like to see that everything is right. Fred, said Scrooge. Dear Heart Alive, how his niece by marriage started. Scrooge had forgotten for the moment about her sitting in the corner with the footstool, or he wouldn't have done it on such account. Oh, why, bless my soul, cried Fred. Who's that? It is I, your Uncle Scrooge, and I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Let him in. It's a mercy he didn't shake his arm off. He was at home in five minutes. Oh, nothing could be heartier. His niece looked just the same. Oh, so did Topper when he came in italics. Oh, so did the plump sister. What a dick. When she came. So did every one of them when they came. Wonderful party. Wonderful games. Wonderful unanimity. A wonderful happiness. But he was early at the office next morning. Oh, oh, he was early there. If he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming in late. Oh, that was the thing he had set his heart upon. Oh, and he did it. Yes, he did. The clock struck nine. No Bob. The quarter past. No Bob. And he was full 18 minutes with half behind his time. Scrooge sat with his door wide open. Oh, he might see him come to the tank. His hat was off before he opened the door. His comforter, too. And when he was on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen as if he were trying to overtake 9 o'clock. Hello! Uh, that's H-A-L-L-O, so I'm not saying it weird. Growled Scrooge in his accustomed voice as near as he could feign it. Hey, what do you, what do you mean by coming here at this time of day? I'm very sorry, sir, said Bob. I am behind my time. You are, repeated Scrooge. Yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you please. That's only once a year, sir, pleaded Bob, appearing from the tank. It should not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend, said Scrooge. I am not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, he continued, leaping from his stool and giving Bob such a dig in his waistcoat. What, like the peg? Like take your thumb and just drive it into his ribs? What do you mean, giving him a dig in his waistcoat. Then he staggered back and into the tank. Yeah, I gave him the peg. And therefore, I am about to raise your salary. Bob trembled and got a little near to the ruler. Oh, he had a, he had a momentary idea of knocking Scrooge down with it, holding him and, and calling... <laughs> he's about to just, like cut Scrooge's throat and to, like, kill him right there on the spot. And calling to the people in the court for help, a straight waistcoat. Yeah. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Bob, said Scrooge with an earnestness that he could not be mistaken as he clasped him on the back. A merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family, and we shall discuss your affairs this afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop. Bob, 
Make up the fires and buy another coal scuttle before I uh, before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tiny Tim, uh, who did not die, oh good, he said that in all caps, he did not die, was a second father. Oh, he became as good as a friend and as good a master, as good as a man, as the good old city knew. Oh, or any other old city, town, or borough in the, in the good old world. Where is this going? Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but... But he let them laugh, and little heeded him, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on his globe for good, at which some people did not have to uh, fill of laughter in the outside, and knowing that such as these would uh, be blind anyway. Oh, he thought it was quite well that they should wrinkle up their eyes and grins, as have the malady in the less attractive force. His own heart laughed. Oh, and it was quite enough for him, and he had no further intercourse with spirits but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us all. And so, as <clears throat> Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Well, that's the end of that claptrap. Uh, why don't we go downstairs to the smoking room and uh, talk about what the hell we just read. What do we uh, find out in this chapter? Uh, it's kind of a recap of his entire journey of spirits harassing him. And uh, what I, I, I have to say, oh, God damn, the goddamn birds. Hun? Yeah? Uh, can we have an episode where you chase the birds out of the smoking room? God damn it. Uh, oh, God, that hurt. Ow. Um. So, in the first chapter, the first ghost visits him, and he basically goes, I get it. I get him a bad person. Okay, I'm going to change. And then the rest of the story is him saying, like, I already said I was going to change. Why do I keep dealing with these uh, spirits? So, that was a twist. I, I didn't realize when I watched the Disney version of this, uh, Mickey Mouse's Christmas Carol. And so, uh, that was a, a weird little Another weird little twist, that uh, they have a scene where all these ghosts that were miserly, shitty people, uh, a bunch of, just a bunch of Elon on musks out there, they're ghosts walking around trying to help other people. Uh, uh, they're like, please let me help you because I just want to go to heaven, but you can't because you're dead and no one can see you. Uh, that's the thing about being a ghost, just like Stephen Dorglas with his product of glass, you're invisible. So, uh, uh, so that was a weird little twist. You didn't see that in the uh, Mickey Mouse's Christmas Carol. Uh, but beyond that, uh, it's pretty much what I expected. Uh, nothing really too much different. I don't feel like I'm a better man for reading this story. But uh, <clears throat> uh, I guess I'm disappointed they didn't really flesh out Tiny Tim. Why don't we get into uh, the recap? I guess it's recapped it. He's a happy man, and he's doing nice stuff to people. And he's, like, sitting back in his place like, Everyone thinks I'm a dick. And I'm waiting for Bob Cratchit to come in just a little bit late, and he's going to be all scared because he knows I'm a dick, and I'm going to sit here and giggle. And then when he finally shows up, yeah, you get a raise. And then Bob Cratchit's like, oh, I'm not 
I'm not sucking cock again. This isn't happening again. But he's like, oh, no, no, I'm just giving you a raise because I saw ghosts. And uh, as a Bob Carriage, like, whatever, just give me the money. And so at the end of all that, uh, Tiny Tim, they didn't really talk about Tiny Tim. They didn't really flesh him out very much. We should give him more of a backstory. Like, what kind of crap did he have to do on the streets to survive? But um, beyond that, uh, it was fine. What's good? It's what I expected. It wasn't the Mickey Mouse uh, Christmas Carol that I was used to, but uh, I don't know. It's fine. I wouldn't say better. I think Canon is the Mickey Mouse Christmas Carol. Uh, what sucks? Uh, I don't know. Nothing. I mean, the author sucks. The author treated his wife like human garbage, and he treated his kids like garbage, too. For a guy that loves kids so much, if you're not an orphan, he doesn't give a shit about you. Uh, what do we learn? If you're not an orphan, he doesn't give a shit about you. So we learned that much. And uh, it's Christmas. So I'm releasing this on the 24th. So if for any weird reason there's somebody listening to this as they're preparing their holiday turkey or or ham. I was with my wife. We have a storm coming. So we went shopping to just store up food and get ready for the big winter storm coming. And uh, the first thing she said when we were walking through Target, oh, you see those hams? And I said, yeah. She goes, you want a whole ham? And I said, no, not really into ham. She goes, oh, you're not into ham? Oh, God, I can eat a whole ham. Uh, so, <laughs> with that, uh, do you, if you're making a ham, think of my wife preparing for a winter storm. And also, uh, have a Merry Christmas, or uh, enjoy your Hanukkah, or if you're an atheist, just sit there. Just sit there and breathe, and know that you're still alive. With that, uh, I will be back. Uh, I'm going to read a weird sex book next. And then, and then, and then I'll get into Winnie I keep teasing Winnie the Pooh. I'm going to get into Winnie the Pooh after I read the sex book. i got to clean my palate with a nice sex book. And then I'll read Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh is like 20 chapters. It's ridiculous how long that thing is. That's the reason I'm putting that thing off. Uh, all right, bye. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, including stuff like gestating the curious mind with my lady friend, and also a, a little side project I'm going to be doing with my daughter. Oh, I'm on Instagram, but no one uses that anymore because they all use TikTok. Am I ever going to get on TikTok? No. But if you want to look at my dead Instagram, it's at uh, HouseNuzzle. I also have Twitter, which I use the most, which is also conveniently at HouseNuzzle. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.Nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left. 